Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, joined by my co-host, Mitch. Say hello, Mitch. Hello, Mitch. And this evening, we are joined by a very special guest, the human drum machine, founding member of the legendary Warlord, former member of Fate's Warning, the Thunder's child himself, Mr. Mark Zonder. Mark, how the hell are you? Absolutely great, man. Well, considering everything that's going on, absolutely great. And I will have some good news for you guys today. So oh, that's always good. Good, good news is always welcome. Yep. <laughs> So take us back in time, Mark. What sort of music were you listening to when you were young? What led you to the drums initially? I mean, I remember five years old being in the garage, banging on plastic little suitcases that little kids have, you know, kind of thing with uh, with spoons and stuff like that. And I always remember sitting at the table, you know, with the silverware, kind of like screwing around, tapping it out. And it's funny, even to this day, that still happens. You know, there's there's been a song in my head basically for 62 years and it just doesn't go away. <laughs> so so basically what happened is you know obviously my parents never pushed anything you know but when i showed the interest they're like okay let, let's start with the drum lessons you know, okay great you know so seven years old you know i'll never forget it was a practice pad and the buddy rich book back then and it was boring <laughs> you know it, it, was, it was boring let me tell you um, i actually didn't have a real 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 drum set and i don't mean a good one but just like a real one till I was about 13. Wow. So it was a lot of practice pad. It was a lot of snare drum. It was a lot of starting the lessons, not practicing. My parents would stop the lessons. Starting the lessons again, because I asked them if we could do it, then they would stop the lessons. So there's a little bit of that going on. I played in all the school bands and all that. I played in the orchestras. But yeah, it, just, it was just one of those things. Even if I was playing sports and even if I was doing something else, it was always there. You know, the drum set was always in my room. I'd basically fall out of bed and <laughs> slam right into it. You know, my parents and my brothers put up with it. And it just, it was just one of those things. I'm, I, you know, I, I always look for many years. I, I, I'm very thankful that I found something that I was passionate about that I could kind of go with. And, it's, and I'm looking at my kids. I have basically, they'll be 15 in, in a couple months, but twins. And I keep thinking, man, when is in both of them, once they find that thing that they're into, they'll put that effort into it and, and it'll be cool. But don't by by no means get the idea that I was practicing six hours a day, and you know, and, and no, it wasn't that. They were always there. I was playing in bands. I really probably didn't take it super super serious. Maybe twenty one or twenty two when I moved to L A. and kind of went, okay, you've kind of put yourself in that situation where it's sink or swim. Right. So then it turned into six hours a day, you know, and <laughs> then it turned into sitting in the little storage bin by myself with two bass drums going wacka 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 in 104 degree weather that kind of thing you know but i wasn't that 12 year old kid you know i mean i was playing baseball basketball football and, and working those kind of summer jobs or whatever at the movie theater and screwing around and you know that that kind right, of that kind right. of, i definitely wasn't the child prodigy or any of that <laughs> definitely not definitely not me it's great that your parents are supportive you know that little bit of encouragement can go a long way and a lot of parents aren't supportive, so that's great to know. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny story in that because my dad was a chemical engineer. And just to give you an idea of his side of the family, his brother had to wait a year after graduating dental school because you have to be 21 to practice in Michigan. So you, you, there's, there's lawyers, doctors, all these kind of things in my family, and that's great. A lot of brain power. 
and, and I went to college for about six, some say six months, I say six weeks, but anyways, <laughs> the, I can't even imagine that conversation that my mom and dad had of, you know, Mark's basically selling everything, getting out of everything and going to LA with drums and a couple pair of pants. You know, I can't even imagine that, that conversation. That, right. that, that so, but no, they, to me, my dad told me, you know, just keep like, like a pool player, just keep one foot on the ground, you know, always right. be grounded, you know, and that was the big advice. And, and it's, and this is the way I was raised, but yeah, it, it all worked out. So which bands were you leaning towards when you were young? What were you listening to at the time? Parents, when I was really young, I mean, I remember the monkey's first album, you know, last train to Clarksville. I'm a believer. The first record, and, and my parents were listening to Tijuana Brass, uh, The Fifth Dimension, I think it was, Aquarius, you know, Up, Up, and Away, or whatever, that kind of stuff. West Side Story, I always thought was an amazing soundtrack, just mm. because of uh, the intensity of it. But when I when we started getting rolling, the first album my dad ever bought me was Traffic, John Barleycorn Must Die. I wasn't really a heavy metal kind of guy. I was into rock. The one that really opened my eyes is when, well, when my younger brother, younger brother, turned me on to Rainbow Rising. That was that was a moment. You know, another <laughs> moment is I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the first three Journey albums before Steve Perry joined the band. I'm aware that they exist, but I'm not too yeah. familiar with them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're all showing our age here. Okay, yeah. I get it. Um, let's just put it this way. It's not the journey you know. It okay. is jazz, metal, fusion, 12-minute jams, and it was Ensley Dunbar was the drummer. And I ripped him off blind. I came home from school and put the records on. He was the guy playing the hi-hat with his foot all the time. He was the guy playing single bass, but making it really, really happen. You guys would be amazed if you go back and listen to those. It's the, it, just go look it up. And it's because you have to remember, Greg Raleigh and Neil Sean came from playing with Santana. And that was obviously Jam City <laughs> and kind of space metal, if you want to call it that. But you got to hear those records are really they're mind blowing. And it's not the, they're two different bands, two completely different bands. Yeah, got into that, was doing that. And then, you know, UFO, the Scorpions. Um, what else were we listening to back then? Well, you mean all the all the obvious, you know, Leonard Skinner and whatever. But I remember right. driving around with, when Lights Out, UFO came out, you know, in my little car with my Craig Power Play speakers. And, you know, the I didn't have 8-track. It was cassette. Let's get that clear. No 8-track, <laughs> all cassette. But yeah, you know, all the basic bands. You know, Pat Travers was really big, you know, for me back then. You know, when Tommy Aldridge, you know, the heat in the street and stuff. And even before that, when Nico played with them, um, the different albums, you know, uh, Making Magic and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and just stuff like that. There was a bit, there was a point that I kind of went, okay, this is really cool, but it's, I'm not, a, I'm not an overly big fan. I'm a big fan of like creating, if that makes sense. I, I'm not that guy. I mean, I listen to music 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no question about it. But I wasn't out there ripping and stealing everybody. I was trying to just go my own way and right. grab different things. Um, I know there's certain guys, you know, I think one of the things that kind of makes me a bit different than every, not everybody else, definitely not everybody else, but some people, I didn't have the basic rock book. I didn't have Carmine's book. I didn't have basic rock fills for the rock drummer. You know, I didn't learn that kind of stuff. And a lot of those things, I really can't play that well because I never did that. I mean, very rarely will you hear me. I mean, I, I kind of went at it different and I was listening to guys, especially guys like Ensley Dunbar, where everything was just, you, you got to hear this. If you mix hard jazz with fusion with rock and a little kind of medley thing i mean neil sean is just unbelievable but it got that thing of like hey the drums could do anything and then perk came along and then you know that that really opened the floodgates but guys like ensley dunbar were doing stuff even above that it, they just weren't as well known and they didn't come as popular in that that setting i mean it wasn't a, uh, it was a san francisco based phenomenon it wasn't like a world phenomenon but uh, yeah, you got to check this out. It'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind, really. Definitely will. So, Mark, day one, lesson one, you're teaching someone to play drums. What is what are, what are you telling them? Go back and get an accounting degree. <laughs> um, well, if, if I can only tell them one thing, I would probably, well, you want to be yourself. You want to kind of go after what makes you, what what turns you on as far as music goes. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. I, I've studied a whole lot of different kind of musics and just music and pull different elements in. You know, I spent a good six, eight month period with a, a teacher and it was just Afro-Cuban stuff, whether it was playing the congas or how to apply those rhythms to the drum set, you know, and just, just things to really open up the mind. And as you keep moving forward and keep moving forward, it keeps opening, opening and opening up and you really realize that you don't know anything. 
it's endless and it's just endless. And that's what kind of drives you. You can never go, you know, whenever I hear someone, you know, says I'm bored, you know, it's like, well, start playing with your left hand as a lead, you know, and call me in two weeks and let me know how it went. There should never be a boring, if, if you're stuck, that's different. Right. You know? And then you might require, you know, oh, you know, that might, that might require, you know, some help. But what I was going to say, if I actually, if I had to tell someone, I tell them how to learn how to read, because if you can read basic stuff, you can get anybody's book and learn. And I, and I did that, you know, Dave Garibaldi, Tower of Power, I could have never figured out what he was doing and all the ghost notes, but when it's written out in front of you and you can understand it, I just sat there and went one E hold on one E and, you know, super slow. And you just put the time in. That's how, that's how it happened. There, there's no, nobody drops from heaven. That's just got it all happen. You, you got to put in the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but it has to be smart work too. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, if, if you, if you only want to achieve X and you're really happy at playing that style and that's all you like, that's great. You know, but if you want to take it further, that that's cool too. You can always work on your timing. You can always work on recording yourself and then looking back and going, I do this all the time. Am I rushing or am I dragging? And, and what, what makes that sound funny? Not because when you're playing, you don't really know, but you go back and go, Oh, because yeah, the snare was cool. But as soon as I go to the rack time, I start speeding up. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of analyze that. That's always a, you know, this day and age, there's no excuse not to have some cheap two mic recording setup for a drummer that, you know, costs a hundred right. bucks. So it depends on where you want to take it. It's a lot different, you know, now, man, everybody can go to the internet and just look at, you know, you know, tutorial, you know? Yeah, Carter yeah. Beaufort's shoe size. You know, back in my day, we were lucky if the guy's name even made the album. You know, <laughs> and then when they actually put the drum set that he was playing, I'll never forget the the Nico when he was playing with Pat Travis. He's playing a Heyman kit. It's like, oh my god, you know, a ten by four. He's like, but today, I mean, you could they'll, they'll tell you, well, you know, he burned 170 calories during that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just out of control, and there's no excuse. Right. You can get a full yeah. breakdown of everything they're doing. Yeah. You got to break down and don't kill me. Oh, it costs money. No. You know, my parents spent a lot of money on lessons. Trust. But no, there's no excuse. You know, no, definitely not today. Today's a great, you know, today the music business is not hot. It's, it's, it's not good. But as a musician, the learning ability and capability, especially during COVID, I'm surprised out of COVID, you're not going to just have these monsters after a year, you know, that, <laughs> that they had nothing better to do. But yeah, I teach them to read because that, that is really kind of a foundation to the whole mess. Well said. So how did you meet Bill and you guys ultimately formed Warlord? How did that uh, meeting occur? Um, that, that's a real easy one. I remember it was like yesterday. We were playing, I was playing a band called Russian Roulette, uh, half covers and a couple of real crappy originals. And we were playing UFO, Thin Lizzy, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. This was in San Jose, okay, up in the Bay Area. And we were playing like some gig at a record store opening or whatever. Okay, cool. And the singer at the time's girlfriend knew Bill from when Bill works at this bookstore. And she brings him because she goes, yeah, there's this drummer that I think that you might, you know. And Bill had the warlord thing going. He had it going. He just couldn't find people. And it kind of just went from there. Me and Bill spent hours, just me and Bill playing in, in a warehouse in East San Jose. No bass, no singer, no nothing. That's where, you know. Battle of the Living Dead, Child of the Dam, Lucifer's Hammer, Black Mass. I mean, you know, we were playing all those, just him and me back then. And it just went from there. We, we shared the exact same. We, we, first of all, we are two completely different people. We're, we're definitely different. But the love of Warlord is what is what's there. Right. He basically handled the kind of the music part of it. And I handled the business part of it. Right. And, and it just worked really well. And that's that's why, you know, we've always kind of said, if Bill could sing, then we wouldn't need anybody. You right. know? <laughs> That's where the issues come in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he played the bass, he played the keyboards, no problem. So it just went from there. And, you know, true story, 17-year-old kid sitting at a bus stop with his notepad writing Lucifer's Hammer. Wow. You know? I mean, even to this day, listen to that. And, and lyrically, it, it's brilliant. I mean, to me, it's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know. And, yeah, you have to put a little Lucifer in there because that was the big thing happening right. at the time. It's metal. Know? <laughs> but yeah, it's metal, it's metal, you know, but not blatant. It wasn't like over the top ridiculous, you know, and it's about the nuclear bomb, you know, the hammer, you know, the hammer, you know, right. that's one guy I got, I got to say, and I've said it a million times, never heard him play a bad note, never heard him write a bad song and never heard him write two songs that even remotely sound like each other. And a lot of bands have that problem, <laughs> you know, yeah. but no, that, that, that guy is definitely one of the million. There's no question about it. 
You mentioned that uh, Bill was having trouble finding people. When it comes to vocalists, correct me if I'm wrong, but Warlord seemed to always have trouble maintaining the vocalist or at least finding one that could perform live. Yeah, the, the, the Jack who was on Deliver Us was basically a pop singer that he came in and all he was was the throat for Bill. Bill would feed him the lines in the recording studio just one at a time. And Jack was good and he could pick up on it and do it. A lot of other guys couldn't even do that. I, you know, we auditioned everything from Neil Turbin to Mark Bowles. We, we loved Mark Bowles, but I think he was looking for the big payday and we didn't have the big payday, but we loved him. I thought he was great. Uh, he would have fit perfectly. I mean, we auditioned hundreds of singers. It got to the point in our warehouse where the, and we were on the second story and you got to remember it was the eighties. So it was all about what you look like, you know, the singer, come on, this day and age, it doesn't matter. Back then, if your singer wasn't like, you know, Peter Frampton or, you know, had the hair or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So we'd stand upstairs when these guys would come over and we'd tell them straight up, hey, man, we're looking for this kind of guy. He's got to look like this, 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 and this. And the guy goes, oh, no, no, I look exactly like Peter Frampton. And I'm thinking, <laughs> that'll work. <laughs> guy shows up at the door and, and he looks like the busboy at the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and, and, and me and Bill are upstairs and we're just looking down and saying, sorry, man, position's been filled. <laughs> it's just, we spent days hours and years just looking for singers it was horrific you know then you'd get the guy who thought he knew better than bill and it's like well wait a minute man you know it's bill's band and no we don't want to hear about your songs <laughs> nothing personal but i'm not i'm not joining deep purple and looking at richie and going hey i got a song here no no <laughs> just, just, let's go okay you say we used to always say save that for your solo album you know? <laughs> but you know it, it was tough back then and again we didn't have any money. We locked into Jack. We got, you know, Metal Massacre 2, Metal Massacre 3. You know, we did Deliver Us. You know, it's a shame. It's really a shame that nothing locked that we could actually go. And that's the reason we did that video is back then no one was going on tour. You know, I mean, you know, Brian Slagle wasn't going to send us over to Europe, but we thought that Europe would be a much better market. Because you have to remember at the time we were in L.A. dealing with Rat, Poison, Motley Crue, and you know that that yeah, yeah. kind of music and we don't really fit into that i mean you know god bless them all that made money yeah and yeah i mean i tip my hat to anybody that can make money in this business but we knew we just that's this isn't no this isn't our place <laughs> so we wanted to get it basically out to the world and overseas and we were thinking that you you do something like that you get it out overseas maybe something can happen that's how they can see you it's not that you, you got to remember man there was no youtube there's no internet there's no video there's no nothing we were lucky to get it on like not even Headbangers Ball, but VH1, I think, had a show, you know, back then and get get a clip played of it or something like that. So, I mean, we were trying. It just We just couldn't find, you know, the singer, you know, and, and, and we tried everything. Do you remember how the first first ever Warlord live show went? Was it seamless? Basically, yes. The, the, the technical first one was Kit, the Keep It True, with Oliver. Was it 2004? Yeah, that was our first show. And all, all I know is... <laughs> <laughs> this, all I know is before we went on, I kept hearing the audience, even the band before us, so I kept hearing the audience chanting, war, Lord, war, Lord. And I thought to myself, and I'm sitting there backstage and thinking, oh my God, this is what Iron Maiden must feel like every night <laughs> that you, you could come out and fall down drunk and they're going to love you. Yep. you know, I've been so used to playing gigs where like, I'm not going to say it's hostile environments, but you know, where it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not like that. It's not like you're chanting your name way ahead of time. Right. No, it's awesome. It, it went by in a blur, obviously, but it, it was great. Kit was the first one in, in Germany and that was great and it was cool. But when we got down to Greece, it was a whole different ballgame. That was like, you know, especially we played two nights in a row. So you kind of get that traction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, that was when I really knew what Iron Maiden felt like, you know, it was, it was, you know, seriously, when the audience is singing louder than the band, you got a problem. Not, not a problem. You, you got a great situation. Yeah, the yeah, problem, yeah. Problem comes into play and we play everything. You know, I played everything for years to a click. OK, just so you, know, you, you just want to make it solid. You know, whether it's the beginning of Black Mass, when I'm just playing that quarter note on the kick kind of thing, they start clapping, but they're speeding it up. And they're so freaking loud that I, I got to just black them out because if not, and if I come off the click, it's going to be a nightmare. There's some interesting moments with how rabid those fans were in Greece. I mean, just, you know, for Fate's Warning, same thing. They were the exact same thing for Fate's Warning. But, you know, that's a band that's been around for a long time, multiple albums, blah, blah, blah. 
to go there with Warlord and just have that kind of, and, and just be treated so well was, was really something. I, again, I thought, oh, this is what it's like to be a rock star. Okay, I get it. <laughs> cool. Hey, give me this. Give me that. You know, <laughs> we, had a, we had a great time and the audience was great. And, you know, we did the DVD and everything. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. The, the fans were just great. That's all I can say. 2004 that was the first keep it true wasn't it the very first one no 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 we didn't i don't think we played the very first keep it true we played with angel witch and um was that doom sword oh wait a minute wait a minute my mistake my mistake see this is what happens when you get old <laughs> we played vakken that was the first gig my mistake that was with Joachim. that was technically Joachim cons from hammerfall that was technically the first warlord gig and there's some great youtube video footage of that that was kind of a cluster okay <laughs> it's two o'clock in the morning there's a you know what 40 000, 30 they're still all there you know mm -hmm. those vessels just go the guys in the band some of the guys who were using at the time weren't the most i mean they, they were everything was cool but it was a big stage and again on a festival like that there's not a lot of uh, sound checking going on and stuff like that but we nailed it we didn't we didn't come off the rails or anything like that the thing I do remember that was very funny. And I love the guy to death, though, is Posco, our bass player, was moving like back and forth. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy's going to be exhausted, <laughs> you know, going back and forth. But no, it, it, was, it was cool. That was the first one. Joachim, extremely experienced, great front man. He brought it all together. And, you know, he had wow. the whole thing happen. And that was the first one. If you go to YouTube, look up Warlord on, at Vakken. I think that, that might have been, that could have been 2004. Four. That could have been the 2004 one. I, I, my mistake. I mean, we'd have to look this up, but I think 2010 might be more of a time frame for when we did Keep It True and then going to Greece kind of thing. And we went back again after that to Greece another year or two later. But that's kind of it for the Warlord shows. And we did the thing we did played Crete, the, the festival outdoors in that that old fort where it was like 119 degrees. It was unbelievable. <laughs> you know, I, I'd never been by the ocean or by water and it's been so hot. But uh, that was a good show too. I mean, anytime we can go out and play, you know, you start cranking up those tunes. It, it, it's, it's, it's all good. I mean, it's just yeah. good to play those songs. First show, Vakken, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, like Joachim said, you know, we're, we're playing the graveyard shift or the morning shift at two o'clock <laughs> in the morning, but Hey, it worked. Actually, again, my mistake. <laughs> the night before we actually played in, I think it's a hoe in a very, 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 very small club. So that could have probably, if you want to qualify, that would be the first Warlord gig per se. We never played in LA or any of those other places because we didn't have a singer. That's simple. So when you guys finally went your separate ways in 86, would you say it was primarily because you couldn't find a settled vocalist? I, I would say it was a lot of frustration. You know, we thought we had got something. We, had, it, you know, we put ourselves into it. We invested the money, you know? I mean, we did, that video was ours. You know, we did all that. So, you know, we, we did everything but basically bleed. It, it just kind of came off the rail. It, it's a very kind of a weird period. There was no definitive moment of, you know, screw you, I'm out of here or anything like that. It kind of just, it's just, it's very strange. It kind of just faded away kind of thing. Right. Um, that's, and, that, and that's probably the reason why it could come back together because there was no, hey, you stole my girlfriend. Hey, you ripped me off or, you know, or any of that. There was no kind of animosity. It just kind of <laughs> no, okay. slowed Every, down. You know, everybody kind of went, I don't want to say went their separate ways, but kind of went their separate ways. There was life changes going on. I don't want to get into the proverbial girlfriend thing, but, you know, there was different things right. happening. And, it, you know, picture this, you know, you're, you're talking about, four guys in their 20s living in a 40 by 40 foot warehouse with sheets up in the corners for their bedrooms uh, a makeshift shower with the cockroaches you know and it's 104 in north hollywood and we have one window with no ac it's like you want to talk about paying your dues yeah but we loved every but we loved every damn and i remember touching my drums and they were hot you know what i mean they're like <laughs> physically hot but no, we, we loved everybody and cranking those songs out, even just playing to the five or six people that we knew that would come by and sit on the floor and whatever. But it gets to a point, you know, people are going, OK, what are we doing? You know, and yeah. where's this going to go? And, you know, and, and those kind of things. So it kind of just petered. And that's why there was no animosity or big moment. And then it all just, you know, it came back. 
I always told Bill, even after that, I, you know, even all the different things that I was doing and whatever, I said, Hey, whenever you're ready to play, you know, I'm your guy, let, let's go. You know, there, there's no questions asked, just send me music. And so you just got a phone call and what was it? 2003, 2004. And it was time to go. It was actually me calling him, but yeah. Oh, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I called, Hey, how you doing? Hey, you got, what are you doing? music? Right? You know, for a while he talked about doing something different and then it just turned out, Hey, I got these riffs. And I, and I went, bingo. <laughs> and then we just, you know, then we came up with the, the demo before Rising Out of the Ashes, which was, it's like Winds of Thor and a couple other songs, you know, on it, you know, kind of, that they showed up on the album and we right. used that as the quote demo. It, it was rough. We couldn't get a deal. Mm. I was surprised. I was really shocked, especially having Joachim sing. Okay. Got a guy, you know, from a, a, a well, now you want to talk about, hey, we can sell this project because this guy's in it or that guy's in it. At the time, they were big. I don't understand why we couldn't we couldn't get a lunch. <laughs> so he was willing to actually sing on new the new album. Oh, absolutely! You know, he's a huge Warlord fan. Obviously, they covered "Child of the Dam" on mm-hmm. their first record, and you know where Hammerfall comes from? The hammer will fall on you. There it is. We talked to Deathmaster. He's a, he's in Doom Sword, and they headlined the first "Keep It True." That's why I was wondering if. Okay. Yeah, and oh, their so stage played. names came from the Warlord Deliver Us album artists, the names on the gravestone, and they took those as their stage names. Hey, they're, they're, hey, don't tell me Warlord didn't have an influence. You know, no, well, ab- they definitely did. But Bill had the whole concept going on. I mean, it's funny because, you know, we, we, we took a little flack for the names. So Bill had a whole thing with each member, kind of a, a story. You know, I'm not saying he was setting up solo records and, you know, for each person, kind, you know, kind of thing, but he had stories that interweaved. He had a movie, he had the whole bit, you know. It just never came to fruition. It, it would have kind of made, you know, Gene Simmons and Kiss in an intellectual way, you know, look like kindergarten. Okay. No one would have been sticking their tongue out and spitting blood. It was a lot deeper than that. It was much deeper than that. Obviously, you can tell by his lyrics, you know, Bill's lyrics, but I'm happy for what it is. I mean, what it is is great. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you joined Fate's Warning in 88. What? How did that relationship jump off? Well, I was, when the Warlord thing kind of dissipated, I wound up with the studio because when you play the drums, you kind of need a place to stay. So I was renting out the rooms to other people, non-musician types, just to make money. And I kept the room and I'd be playing with three bands a day, basically. I was playing like with a, a funk band. I was playing with a band. I don't know if you remember a band called Anna emotion total new wave band their big hit song was you're my obsession they've used it in several commercials i know you guys are a little young for this it was big they were a big band but it was a totally different style all electronics i played a total electronic kit and that's where i really learned all about the electronics i sold my kit for an akai s900 sampler and it's actually sitting down here in the rack it was i just that was that thing i was talking about immerse yourself in a million different things that have nothing to do with what you were doing because you're doing that just fine and i also played like in a funk band and but the 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 one with the animation with Astrid and Charles was just so educational. You know, I learned all about sequencers, the click track, how everybody, it all locks together, how I can be having the click, but it's going to trigger this and trigger that, even to the point of lighting and, and anything and everything. And just that whole thing of utilizing the sounds. And it's like it opened up such a world that it doesn't have to be kick and snare. And then I got into this whole thing of making my own samples. You know, I took these weights and I just dropped them and I sampled it and, and different things. And, you know, that's where you hear some of that stuff like on Life in Still Water and those sounds. I made those sounds. And those are like my sounds that I made. I tried to bring that electronic aspect with me when I went into Fates Warning. So the whole Fates Warning, I'm playing with three different bands. My head's spinning. I'm just like, you know, just playing, 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 playing. And a big thing that I did for years was work with Bill Matoyer at Metal Blade. And I would tune drums for the different records he would do. Because obviously, or apparently, a lot of people didn't know how to tune drums back then. But so, and, and it's plus it's a luxury for bands like Fates Warning. That's a real band to have someone else come in. And when we did Parallels, Terry Brown brought in an amazing guy, Silka 2, to tune the drums for me. So it's not it's not so much about, hey, you're horrible. We need to bring in the pro. Just when you're recording a record, the last thing you want to think about is all that. It's very exhausting. Anyway, I did that for, for a long time with Bill and I did one of the Fates Warning records. I think it might've been Awaken the Guardian. Jim, as I've been told, was a giant Warlord fan. And I had worked with them, the drum tuning and all that kind of stuff they had rehearsed in my place at the time in that same place that i was telling you about with the sheets in the corner and all that they came in and rehearsed for a few days before they recorded the record and i i just kind of got the call from jim and they, they were looking to change obviously you can tell the material on perfect symmetry is a little different than no exit and 
I, I very candid conversation with Jim Collins. And I said, you know, hey, I'm flattered. I'm great. But I have to tell you, I'm not a real big fan. And it's not really my gig of kind of where you guys are at right now with that kind of brash email. That, that's just not my style. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We're looking to change. I go, okay, you know, send me, send me something. And I can just, I can give him my best shot. And let's see where it goes. I think the first thing he sent me was part of the machine. But the bottom line is it's kind of, and the rest is history. <laughs> that's kind of and and it worked out well because they were trying to go in a direction and they let me you know do my thing and they they wanted me to do my thing you know and they appreciated that and hopefully they saw you know what that could bring and where it, where it took it and where we went so so that's it was it was kind of as simple as that just hey man uh you know we're looking to you know change drummers you know you know if you're interested or not the rest is history that's funny because a lot of people would say fates and warning fans would say that you did change the sound for the better and basically that's what they wanted you to do that's what they approached you to do was to do something different yeah i'm sure i'll get in trouble for this like i always get in trouble but i think what it basically was that they couldn't go to where they wanted with the current lineup kind of a and i'm not by no means my putting this in the same situation but when you look at iron maiden i you know and i love those first two records but i don't think in steve harris's head where he wanted to go paul diana was going to get him there. right I, that's a good comparison yeah i i just it's if you want to change you need to have you know if you want to uh, bake something different you need different ingredients that's kind of what it was i i think any musician especially a drummer if you sit down and just listen to before me and then me you could say oh yeah you know it changed but everything just it just kind of changed <laughs> so you didn't really have to go through those usual growing pains with a new band where it's not your band and you don't want to have too much input you had input from the beginning oh no we had those moments <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> My my whole style is about bringing in everything and anything and anything and everything, and then we can scale it back if we have to. So there were a few of those moments. Um, <laughs> and I, was, I was trying to slip the cowbell in there, you know, <laughs> and, and, and different things. And you know, and, and it, what's kind of a really funny story is when Jim had me do um, a couple songs on the Arjun of Theos record. Um, the one he sent me, that was kind of really mellow thing. I said, "Oh, this is perfect. I'm gonna play the electronics and make this total Peter Gabriel." kind of hip cool kind of and you know and, and i love doing that kind of thing so i did anything anytime i'm doing anything with the drums it's never away and, and i sent it to him he's like you know do you think you can just play like the ride on two and four you know like like <laughs> they, they were hearing the part more of like this this big spacious thing not necessarily in the past i would have been able to push my way in or whatever it was his project whatever you want sir no problem but it was just kind of funny because it reminded me of the, the i remember there's different different things especially on parallels where i was kind of trying to push things and and there in, in, a, in all honesty and I like to think I've grown since this, but there was times where I would come up with this new great riff and just try to shove it in there however I could get it in there, you know, just because I thought it was so cool, which kind of led me to that whole thing of putting a couple different bands together that start. We're going to start all these songs basically with my drum ideas and then we'll build from there because they're crazy and wacky and they're a little goofy. You can feel the groove and they're right in the pocket. But if I give you that first, then you can build your guitar and keyboards around that and we can still have that as a bench. Uh, a central setup because it's so hard sometimes you know i've got this groove and it's on there's an upbeat on something and he's not going upbeat on the guitar then it sounds like a mess over the years and all the different recordings i've done and the different people i play with I, I like to think i've kind of matured a little bit now it's more about okay i'm gonna learn what you do and then i'm gonna take my stuff adapt i'm gonna still take it over the top but i'm not gonna take some preconceived idea and try to jam it in there so that's worked out really well too you know again that's another thing i would tell anybody playing the drums listen okay if the guitar player is playing on the and a one and a two and a three and a four yeah you could play with them but if you played against them but consistently against them you can come up with a cool part might not work but it's the thinking man's approach to it instead of like just hey man you know we're just slamming <laughs> oh hold on let me get some double bass in there you know that kind of thing where you have to look at it you know and this is funny because bill samus always thought of the vocals as just another instrument mm -hmm. it's not a voice it's just it should be looked at note wise syncopation wise and everything else just like another instrument and the drums are the same thing they don't have to just be banging two and four you know there's plenty of things to do but just make sense out of it you know so when someone listens to it they go okay that's really trippy but i get it i'm, I'm like the biggest dislike person of when i hear something i go i don't get it i go you know do i need to sit down with a pad and paper i go i don't get it the, the drums need to have it can be wacky but you've got to be able to tap your foot to it you got to be able to find it i've had some grooves that, that the kick and the snare just you know boom tap boom tap but what gets filled in around it you listen to go oh my god you know what, what's <laughs> happening here 
But if you just sat back and just tapped your foot, you go, oh, wow, kick, snare, kick, snare. It's all how it's constructed, you know, right. but I'm, I'm not a big, I, I always thought music should be communicated. Yes, we all play for ourselves, but I've never been a big fan of the gymnastic part of it. And okay, I'm going to play nine with my right, syncopated four with my left, and my left foot's going to get a beer and my right foot's going to, and then when you listen to it, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with paradiddles and double strokes with my feet. And then six months later, I recorded it with it. And I kind of went, wow, that doesn't sound any different than just digga, 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 you know? <laughs> so there's certain things that in your head you might think are cool, but they just don't translate. So you didn't play, obviously, a lot of live shows with Warlord. When you make the switch to Fate's Morning, I'm sure they're playing live a lot more. Was it big challenge for you or did you just have to switch things up? No. I loved it. And, and my, my texts used to always say, you know, they, they, they would tell me, it seems that you get stronger as the show goes on. I learned that from a teacher that I had a long term time ago that was a jazz guy. And he told me, yeah, you go, I was playing with, I think it was Benny Goodman or somebody really good. And, and he would count it off like first tune, one, two, three, four. And he'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We haven't warmed up. We have So he, he would, he taught me ways to not fake it, but how not to, because if not, you know, you cramp up and it's a nightmare. So no, I, I love the life. I absolutely loved, you know, um, and, and I still do. It, it does get to a point where I have to ask myself, it's like when I was out with Cram Bonnet, we're in England, it's freezing cold and we're playing in front of 80 people. Is this helping my career? And there's only so many moments that you can go, oh my God, it's Graham Bonnet. You know what I mean? Like you're playing that, uh, what's the, the one, um, Eyes of the World. You're going, oh my God. But there's only so many of those moments you realize it's freaking cold. I'm going to get sick. <laughs> I'm making no money and the food sucks. Kind of go, why am I doing this? You know? So no, I, you know, I have to either love the band and I'll play for free or it's gotta be a whole lot of money. <laughs> it's, you know, it's right. One you know, that kind of, no, I, I love, absolutely love, you know, the whole live thing. Like I said, you know, the, the feeling playing those warlord gigs, you know, and some of those fates warning gigs too, that were just, you know, again, and everybody says it, but you know, that connection when you, the, the crowd, it's, a, it's all ego, but it's, it's cool. <laughs> It's all ego, but it's cool. So while we're on the subject of live shows, how do you, what is your opinion moving forward? How's a, how are the metal shows looking forward post-COVID going to look? Well, put it this way. There's going to be a big, and I said this when COVID first started, that I and I said it right off the bat, and it doesn't have anything to do with music. And so I go, there's going to be some serious financial problems. And I don't mean necessarily just people losing money and losing jobs. I'm thinking, okay, great. Let's just say they open it up. Well, how much do you think a promoter is going to be able to pay a good band? And I can only put half, half, if you're lucky, if you get half, let's just say half, I can only put half my people in here. Okay. Am I going to make the price eight times as much to cover? No one will come. Are people going to be so starved for live things? They're going to pay like ridiculous, stupid monies to see average bands. How am I going to, how are bands going to actually tour per se, but promoter, promoters aren't going to eat it. They've eaten it for the last year, you know? So it's, there's going to be a, you know, I'm not even worried about the old, what everybody talks about the log jam and like every band wants to play. Well, is this going to turn into one of these things where people are going to basically be paying for free because a promoter doesn't have any money, but they, they need it and they want it so bad. I don't know. It's, it's, we'll, we'll see how it all rolls out. You know, the other, the funny, kind of funny thing that my, my friend Todd Goldstein, who's big time sound guy, you name it, he's done it, says, what do you think is going to happen to all these venues where gear sits for a year and a year and a half or dust, you know, and maybe humidity and they start firing up all these systems, you know, the consoles goes, there's, it's going to get exciting. There, there's going to be more than ramping up for this than just, hey, let's go play. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of things that are going to happen that people really no one's dealt with this ever. kind of right. just like with the virus. No one's dealt with it. So no one really knows. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting because we can get into it later. But but I have something that's going to be coming out that we're going to be looking for the live thing as well. And we're kind of going, oh, we're probably talking middle of 22, you know, just realistic, just realistically. And again, we're kind of sitting here going, let's not be the guinea pig. You know, let's not be the people that talk about how the record's stiff because of Corona. It's like we can wait. You know, it looks like things are going in the right direction. I'm hopeful, but no, it's going to get interesting. And the other thing that's going to get really interesting that I'm not sure if a lot of people know, but with this thing, you know, a lot of venues have went out, you know, they just can't afford to sustain. So, you know, there's been talk and rumor of other companies coming in to take it over, which turns things into kind of a monopoly. Hey, you know, we're only going to pay a five bucks. Well, screw you. I'm going to go play down the street of Johnny's. Well, we own Johnny's now too, <laughs> you know, so it, there's a lot. 
this is this is big and and let's face it live touring is big business so you know i I can't see you know the cost with a promoter to do a big show and have nobody there you know i I don't think any promoters are you know getting rich overnight they never have i think it's 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 cut thin i mean now that you're going to rip away half their ticket income what are they going to do and bands can't afford they can't afford the gas for the bus you know road crew do it yourself what (laughs) you know it it, it's just business and it's going to be tough it's going to be interesting though it's a complicated process definitely (laughs) you do a a lot of engineering work yourself out at bill's place now so what are some of the most common challenges that you run into when people come in and you're kind of helping them out well I, i i changed that around about nine years ago I took the studio and they're all individual little recording suites. And basically what happened was been in business for about 28 years and rehearsal was great. Absolutely great. I was tied into a couple of great management companies, kind of one of those, you name it, they were there. Bernie Toppin was there. Lannis Morissette was there. Jerry Cantrell was there. Ice Team Body Count started with me. A gazillion, gazillion, you know, all the zombie stuff. I mean, just gazillion bands. We had a really nice niche, never advertised. Nice rooms. They weren't, they weren't gigantic. Nice PAs. They weren't like state of the art, unbelievable. And then about 17 years in, it started to slow. And, and the best way I can describe this is the first big band I ever had with Accounting Crows called me up because uh, Takumi was a road uh, was a road tech for them, and he knew we were good friends and everything. Because his first gig actually was with Fate's Warning, which is a whole another story. But I mean, <laughs> Takumi's been out with everything from Bon Jovi to ACDC, and he's very in demand. He was Prince's guy, very in demand guitar tech. So Counting Crows, hey uh, Mark, we need three months, and just send the invoice to the manager whatever you charge whatever cool okay then it got to hey mark we need three weeks and we need a deal the whole industry just shifted you know the labels weren't giving the bands the money for that so all of a sudden my rooms that were considered kind of small but but cool i'd have bands come look at rehearsal rooms going oh my god these are so huge time to go years ago i built a recording studio up in the front and it was always booked so i said okay what i'm going to do is i'm going to go through each room sand load the walls make each room a small vocal booth a control room an ISO booth and a, like a lounge area, you know, a lot of glass, a lot of cute lighting, all that. It, it's changed my life. It's all rap, hip hop, R&B. I don't have any gear in there at all. And I was very fortunate to run into two gentlemen that have eight out of my 10 rooms. They're running their business out of it. They've put a lot of money into my building to fix their own, like to really make their stuff happen. Right. They even went to the point of putting in a $12,000 gate at their own dime because they wanted to do that every month, just on the first, boom, there's a rent. It's just very lucky. No more running around after bands. No more hearing about how the horn in number four doesn't work. <laughs> no more hearing about, you know what I mean? Right. It kind of turned into commercial rental. Like I said, you know, journey never called, but I bought that building 26 years ago and have been able to really put myself in a situation where I wasn't relying on a band. I didn't have to play a cover gig to eat. You know, I, in the beginning, I thought to myself, I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm relying on somebody. And you right. see how that just turned out. Been the life changer. Let's just put it that way. It's really afforded me to do whatever the hell I want, you know, uh, music wise. So Mark, it is the nature of the podcast. I have to ask you, what are your favorite films? If they're not horror movies, it's okay. Well, I'll never forget when I was 17 working in a movie theater and it wasn't showing at our theater, but the theaters would, you know, you could go to the other theaters. So the original, original, when it came out, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I don't know if you guys remember that scene where he picks her up and he puts her on the meat hook. Oh, I remember it. Oh yeah. (laughs) X amount of years later, I almost crapped myself. I, 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 yeah, that was, that was a rough one. That was a good one. Movies. You know, there's a lot of them that are really good. Training Day with Denzel Washington. I mean, I love Denzel Washington. I can watch no matter what he does. I don't care if it's the Israel Roman one that he did compared to Training Day or anything. I love Denzel Washington. Loved Robin Williams. You know, I I mean, comedy, you know, even the serious comedy kind of thing with Dead Poets Society and stuff like that. You know, you guys, do you guys remember uh, Feature Features? Yeah. Okay, I'm like 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. So that's going back, you know, 67, 68. We used to watch that on TV. um, It wasn't Dr. Demento. It was the other guy. I forgot what his name was. But it was creature features and they show all the you'd see Godzilla, you'd see you know, the, the originals were not way back when. And it but we'd watch creature features all the time. That was one. You know, the blob was okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, compared to what happens today, you gotta remember back then there wasn't a lot in that genre per se, as far as horror. Right. You know, my younger brother was totally into it, but I'll never forget that text some massacre. <laughs> around that meat hook you know it was kind of like okay comedy's good drama's good kind of tired of the computer generated movies like i said i have 15 year old kids so i've seen them all you know yeah. over the last 10 years 
all those. And then it's cool, you know, it's cool. But a good movie is a good movie. The one actually that my son turned me on to, it's not a horror movie, but you ever seen the It Man movies? Yes. Yeah, love them all. Yeah, yeah they're great. Yeah. My son's into that, you know, the, the karate. Thing. I'd show you his trophies over there. But he, you know, he turned me on to that. And, and it was it's just a good, it's just a good movie. Yeah, just, they're, yeah. Look. Have you watched them all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> those are... In repeat, you know yeah. what I mean? Those kind of things. So, you know, absolutely. So that, you know, the, just a good movie. That's a good movie. So you've been teasing us about some some big news you've had. So I'm going <sighs> to give you the floor here. Did you get my email today? I did. I did not have a chance to listen to it yet. Did you look at it? I did look at it. I did. Okay. Well, so you, you get the basic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been working on a band for about. I've been working on a lot of bands that just don't get to this point. I've always like I like I mentioned before, my band Slavier, same thing. I have all these kind of wacky grooves and stuff that I want to that I think that would make good basis for songs. And what happens is I give them one groove and they come up with an idea. Then I come back with three or four other ideas in the same tempo so they can go in different directions and they can write they write songs off of that. Been about a year. It, we got it to that point. And and again, it, this is the classic. Couldn't find a singer to save my life. You know, couldn't mm-hmm. find a singer. I have some of the most god-awful demos from people singing to our stuff that you would ever imagine. What were you thinking? What were you? I tell you, I tell you, hey, we're looking big hooks. I'm looking dollar signs. And I, and I want to hear Jane by Jefferson Starship. Okay. I'm looking, listen to the music. I'm listening to, I want, that's where we're kind of trying to go. You know, like we're looking, I get back stuff that's like death metal. Like, what are you thinking? You know, really deep operatic kind of routine. I go, did you not hear a word I said? So I, I, I couldn't, this, the singer thing was really, really, again, I thought to myself, oh my God, this is going to be the death of me again. And I just called Ray. I said, dude, you know, this is what I got going. What do you think? He goes, yeah, man, send me stuff. You know, he, he's up for it. Obviously, Fate's Warning isn't touring right now. And there it is. You know, obviously, you know, I'm using Philip Bino, really good friend of mine that I've known forever, plays with Steve Vai, done a million things. You know, Vivian Lelou, who's in France, is the keyboard player. And Jupe Walters is in Belgium, it's a guitar player. We, we just put the music together and you know, trying to keep it very consistent, looking at kind of, um, I don't want to say commercial hard rock, because it's it's definitely, there's playing in there. And there's, when we talk about those wacky grooves and those, <laughs> those kind of things, and a lot of playing, but we're really looking at songs, you know, hooks, grooves, you know, sitting in a car kind of bopping your head kind of thing, you know, and then you can tell it's going to the chorus, you know, and, right. and it explodes kind of thing. Totally different style for Ray. And as he talked about in the EPK, you know, it, it brings out a different side of him that he doesn't use with Facebook because it's a different style of music, you know, even though it's, it's similar and but it, it's it, it pushed him in a different direction. You know, when he grew up, he was listening to a lot of 70s and 80s. So he has that kind of Motown kind of vibe going on at different times. The other thing that I that I definitely who I wanted to work with was Robbie Wyckoff, who I've known forever and ever and ever. He's a, basically a studio session singer, saying backgrounds for Diana Ross, or Dan, blah, blah, blah unbelievable singer, unbelievable nice guy. And I wanted to bring in that background harmony, that background vocal part, you know, not necessarily as far as Queen goes and that extent, but when you really listen to those classic records of the seventies and eighties, you hear so much vocal stuff going on in the background and it's not the lead singer. You know, if you look at all the album, album credits, you'll see they bring in different guys because they're looking for different textures. And what's really funny is when I talked to different singers about this project. So, so many of them told me, oh yeah, I sang on the Kansas record. Oh yeah, I was on the foreign record. I'm going, yeah, right. <laughs> and then I go and look and there it is. There they are, you know? So they're bringing different people in and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring, again, just like anything else, I want to be a little different. Bring in a vocal structure instead of just this, you know, rock band. And, and it completely blew my mind. The things that Robbie was doing, just, you know, just, it's not that Ray couldn't do it, but it's just a different point of view. It's almost like when you have two different guitar players. Think of Thin Lizzy and you have two different styles, you know, how they complement each other. It's right. it's that same thing. And no one's hogging the spotlight and, you know, or any of that. And Robbie's not singing lead, but the parts that he came up with, with the oohs and the ahs and where he put them and some of his echoes of Ray's line are the, the, the coolest part is when he sings a harmony with Ray because they're two different kind of voices, but they go really well together. And you hear it and you go, oh, wow. It kind of just like tickles the hair on the back of your neck. It's it, it's really something, you know. And so, you know, we're signing a deal with, with, with a big label and we're looking probably because of the way. And the reason I'm not going to tell you is because it hasn't been technically signed and it hasn't been a press release. And, you know, you don't want to curse anything, but. Understood. 
it's done. All I need is this. <laughs> extremely excited. I mean, this is kind of, I, I've tried this five or six times and they just don't get to where they need. To. It's really, really hard, you know? And the funniest part is we were turned down by one of the biggest labels out there. And he told me that it was too commercial and too AOR. And I kind of went, what? Hey, never hey, happened man. in my life before. It used to be like, man, I don't hear a single. I, I don't, I, I, I don't get it. You know, Fate's warning. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm used to hear, you know? So take a listen when you have a chance. I definitely will. When we get off of here, I'm going to be listening okay. to it. And some old journey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, go, go listen to Of A Lifetime. Just go listen. It's called Of A Lifetime. Gotcha. I'm going to definitely do that. But yeah, very excited about that. Uh, the guys are great. You know, just, just taking care of business. We have the material. That's not a problem. It's just a matter of scheduling up, scheduling up exactly when we're going to release. Like I said, I'm I'm good for pushing it back. You know, just because, uh, especially a debut band. I don't know if you want to really be a debut band and get pushed under the carpet. Right. Yeah. Probably not a smart idea. And I've waited this long. What's a little longer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, very excited about it. It will. It is something. It really is something else. You know, if you're into that, Fate's Warning, Parallels, and or A Pleasant Shade of Grey. It's me doing that thing but kind of on steroids it's oh yeah you know, i think well, a good when, bit of people would be into that oh yeah well when when it's kind of like when you start the band you can do those kind of things <laughs> going back like when you join someone else's band it's yeah. a little tough to get away with that but no we're, do, we're doing that and you know very excited about it you know actually have a video budget in there as well Ooh. and um, this particular label is excellent at marketing and excellent in getting it out there so hopefully i won't hear oh i didn't know you had a record out <laughs> Another story of my life, but no, I'm very excited, very happy. Been working really hard at it. We're kind of going from there and see what happens. You know, it's it's definitely time, and I'm I'm just happy. It's not like it's not like I've been dead and gone, but it's just so hard to get it to that point. I mean, I've tried and I've tried, and you know, you guys know how musicians are. You know, <laughs> you know, and it, it's tough, and and you know, even today it's even tougher because you really have to walk into a label and basically try to go for the old. You can't give you can't give them an excuse to say no, and it's a band. It's not a project. It's a band playing live, absolutely, but not in front of forty five people. You know, it's like. Let's wait till things get back to where they're supposed to be. You know, I've waited this long. We'll, we'll be fine. No, that's very excited about it. That's definitely great news. So we're not going to keep you all night, Mark. Do you have anything else on the horizon? And also I have to ask, uh, what's Bill doing? Any, any rumblings maybe? No, I, you know, I, I've tried to get in touch with him. I know he's for, for years now, he's had some health problems and I just, it's, I haven't really communicated. I've tried and I just haven't gotten a response. But on the other question, we are doing another Spirits of Fire record. That'll be, uh, that'll be on Frontiers and uh, the drums are done for it. So uh, we'll see. It's a, uh, it's a good ride. It's, it's definitely a heavy metal style record, but I'm kind of doing my thing and it'll be good. You know, it has some really good people involved with it. You know, it, it, it took a while to get the second one going. There was some internal stuff with singers and so on and so forth like again story of my life <laughs> and no it's good frontiers does a great job with it you know i like doing it I like you know working with kiss, uh, chris caffrey well mark you definitely keep doing your thing man and we're going to be looking for all the new stuff i'll send this to you when we get it out it's been great talking to you i will definitely i'll definitely keep you updated and you'll see the press release soon the pleasure has been ours my friend uh, our doors are always open to you absolutely mine i appreciate you guys taking the time and uh, i definitely appreciate the help and support man all right no problem, no problem. you have a great you. night you too. Take care, you guys.